Well done, guys. I love this. I'm at this life stage right now where um, my kids don't sing the song like they used to. It makes me sad, so it's not stuck in my head. But how many of you parents have this song stuck in your head right now, right? Like, it's been played all week. I can't see, so if uh, Arturo, would you mind helping me there? Um, but just grateful and thankful to get to watch our kids as we kind of kick off the Christmas season and celebrate all that he is up to. Now, how many of you guys, as we're officially in the swing of Christmas, how many of you guys have your Christmas tree up at home? How many of you guys, and maybe the right question is just, how many of you guys don't have your Christmas tree up at home? Anybody? Yeah, way to not lie at church, because you'd think by now you'd have it up. But I love the kids' song every year. I love decorating the Christmas tree. We have these boxes of ornaments, and often we'll pull them out, and every ornament's got a story. Like, here's one from our wedding day. Here's one from the vintage Grace Grand opening that someone gave us. And I love the decorating of the Christmas tree, but let's be honest, it's almost as chaotic as the kids' song every week, right? Like, it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of work to, to decorate Christmas tree. It's a lot of work to just be dad. And these are the pictures that we post on Facebook. Like, everybody looks so awesome. But let's be really honest. Is that how your Christmas decorating looks all the time? Like, I call it Facebook fake, right? Where it's like, we get the one picture that looked like this was amazing. Now, here's why we don't have the real story, because you were too busy yelling at your kids so that you couldn't get a picture of them. But something that's fun is the chaos. It's also fun to pull these ornaments and all the memories, because you see pictures of them when they were little. And you're like, oh my goodness, like these are two good-looking young men. Now, this is not the same person. This is actually me and my middle child. And so again, I don't know if you can tell who's who, but as we're looking at ornaments, the family are like, oh my goodness, like it is tough to be my son, right? Like sometimes you get baggage from your parents like looks. You're just stuck with them. You didn't pick them, you didn't choose them. You're like, man, we got issues. And sometimes the baggage is good, like good looks, which you also did nothing to acquire, but sometimes it's bad looks as well. And so as we think about Christmas, I wanna give us a moment to pause and think about our family baggage. Think about our Christmas tree. Think about who we are, how we got here, where we come from. I actually have a degree in counseling. One of the first things they teach you in counseling is this issue called family of origin. And so again, just pray for my kids because you know their parents, at least their father, right? Like we have to deal with this reality and something that I love about the text we're gonna look at today, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew chapter one. In Matthew chapter one, we don't see a Facebook fake picture of Jesus's family. We see a lineage of the people that came before Jesus and who led us to Jesus. In fact, we often think of this as like the phone book pages of the Bible, which is why we don't ever read it, because you're just reading name after name after name. But every name is a story. Every name is an ornament, and often they're ornaments that are broken. In fact, if you were to read the entire list of names, you would see a list full of people who are adulterers, liars, murderers, thieves, egomaniacs, narcissists, prostitutes, and idol worshipers. And this is the list of people that lead us to Jesus. It's this list of people that, again, God doesn't hide us and, and mask it in a Facebook fake veneer. He says, nope, this is the spiritual and physical family that leads us to Jesus, that the Christmas story full of family ornaments and stories, that it's a story of redemption that extends through time and across generations. And so again, I'm not gonna read the list to you, but I'd encourage you to read through the list, to see these names, to see these stories, that on some level, if this was your family tree, if these were your ornaments, you might actually hide them and put them away. 
You might pull out your Christmas box and say, hey, uh, what happened to that one? Like that happens every year when we decorate our Christmas tree. We go, what happened to that one? And I'm clear to my kids, that's the one that you broke four years ago. That's what happened to that one. And so on some level, we as a community of faith, we as a vintage family today, want to look at the life and the family of Jesus. We want to walk in this morning and say, hey, my name is Drew. I am broken. My family tree is broken. It's not as nice as one would think. I think as parents, we all look at our kids and they're like, oh, they're so cute. Like your guys' faces have to hurt from all that smiling you just did. But the reality is we as parents, we want our kids to have a redemption story in life. But we live in such a way that we don't ever want our kids to need to be redeemed. But who here today needs to be redeemed? This is the audience participation point of the message. That's all of us. We are desperate for redemption, and Christmas is that redemption story that every name, the 45 names on this list, that every name represents a lifetime of wins and losses, moments of faithfulness and moments of sin, that each name has a legacy. And I want you to note here, the names on the list are not heroes. That's really important. We live in a world that we're looking for heroes. These names on the list are not heroes, but they're names that lead us to the hero. In fact, it was during our teaching team, and our teaching team did such a great job to get us ready for this series. We start Christmas back in the summer, and I'm so excited for this series that we're going to look at the kings of Christmas. A, I get to wear purple three weeks in a row, right? So it's all about kings and royalty. But we get to look, these names, some of them are earthly kings, but none of them are heroes. In fact, Michael Dacey, part of our teaching team, said it this way. I'm a sports guy. He's like a Marvel comic guy. And he said, look, today, many of our hero myths solve the problem of family of origin by selecting orphans because they don't have family baggage. Like That's where all these heroes come from. Because otherwise, you have to deal with your father issue, which every one of us has. You have to deal with the brokenness that we inherited from our family. And so today we're going to look at the life and the family of Jesus. It's a raw picture of the Messiah's family history. And what we're going to celebrate is that the good news of the gospel is not about what you've done or your family tree has done. It's about what God's done. Somebody say amen. amen. That's a big deal. If you are broken, which many of you raised your hand, the rest of you are liars. But if you are broken... Your family tree is broken. The ornaments are broken. This Christmas is one of the most depressing times of the year. We can pause and remember that Jesus redeems every family. Amen? He steps into our mess. It's about his promise of redemption that was given to Father Abraham through Isaac and Jacob and David and all of his descendants. That Matthew's list here in chapter one tells us that God's plan to send the Messiah was not dependent upon our faithfulness, but all about his faithfulness. Then when he makes the covenant to Abraham, it's not Abraham that walks through the split animals, it's, it's God as father that walks through the split animals. He says, this is about my word, not about your words, and God is faithful to his covenant. And so that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's what we say by Advent. We're longing, we're anticipating the coming of the Messiah. For them, anticipating his first coming. For us, we're anticipating his second coming. Anybody pumped for Jesus' return? Changes everything. Doesn't matter what gaps we step into in this Christmas because we know the final score. And so this Christmas series, our team did a great job. We're going to look at three kings from the list that we just saw. We're going to look specifically at the life of Rehoboam, of Hezekiah, and of Josiah. And if there was a series summary, this is what it would be. God wants to do a redemptive work to anybody sitting in the room right now. So if you're sitting in the room right now, this is the gospel. This is the good news that he wants to and he does. It's what he does. And so we're going to look at the incredible work that God does through a broken people, through broken kings, 
through broken humanity and how he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of Lord leading up to Jesus. Now, here is our summary statement. Here is our summary of the entire series. Listen now. God fashioned a world of beauty, purpose, and goodness. Humanity chose rebellion. But God stepped in to write a story of redemption. He called to himself a people for his own possession to shout his glory to the nations. From the promise of Abraham to the exodus from Egypt, God's hand was on his people as he led them through their moments of faithfulness and faithlessness. After 40 years in the wilderness, God brought them to the promised land establishing a new nation under the leadership of judges. The judges repeatedly led the people to repent and get off the throne of their hearts. But the people didn't want the judges or their spiritual leadership. They wanted a human king like the other nations. But God warned them about earthly kings. Man-made kingship comes with a cost. The people would lose everything they held dear. The nation would divide, the people would be exiled, and the temple would be destroyed, all because the people would choose their sin over their God. This story reminds us of our great need for redemption by the one true king, born in a manger to lead us back to him. These are the kings of Christmas. All right, so I'm fired up. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Chronicles, and you're like, what is that? That's a book in the Old Testament. It's on page 545 in my Bible. If you just type it into your device, it'll go straight there. 2 Chronicles chapter 10. Now, as you turn there, I want to pause and say, so what is the kings of Christmas? There's a lot of kings in the northern and the southern kingdom. It's the divided kingdom at this point of the text that we step into. The kings is because the Israelites said, God, we want a king. Everybody else has a king. And God's like, Psst, you don't need a king. I'm your king. Here's the problem with sin. In the garden, Adam and Eve wanted a king. The Israelites here wanted a king. Today, you and I, we still want a king. In fact, the greatest threat to the throne of our heart is probably us because we put ourselves on the throne of our heart. And Jesus says, no, no, I am the king, but God is a good, loving father. He allows us to walk away. He allows us to say, no, God, I want a king. Give me a king. And so God says, fine, if you want a king, it's not good for you. As a loving Abba Father, he only does things that are good for you and me. He says, you don't want a king. You don't need a king. You have me. But the people cry out for a king. And so God says, that's fine. And so he gives them a king, even though it's not what's best for them. If you follow what it means to be a king within the kingdom, again, there's the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Overall, they are not good. Why? Because anyone that sits on the throne of your heart is not good for you. Anything, whether it's Frosty the Snowman, whether it's the Seattle Seahawks, even the 49ers, it doesn't matter. Anyone or anything, that's what idolatry is. In fact, that's really the role of the kings. If you're curious about the kings, I'd encourage you, go read Deuteronomy. These are the qualification and expectations of an Israelite king. My summary here, because that's small print, I get it. Here's my summary of what it means to be a king. First is that you worship God alone. That's what it means to be king which means you have to deal with the idolatry in your own heart. You can't lead someone, someone you haven't dealt with in your own. And so as kings, God calls them, deal with the idolatry in your heart, get any and everything off the throne of your heart, and then lead your people to do the same. Be faithful to the covenant that God has made with us because he's a good father, because he's for us. But what's true of every king in the Old Testament and in the New, what's true of every empire in the world, Babylon and America, is that empires fall. That's what they do. We put our hope and our weight and our value in things and in people, and only one person is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And so as we look at the story of our Christmas kings, before we get to Rehoboam, because you're like, who is that? He is the grandson of David, the son of Solomon. And so some backstory for all of us to remember is that in 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon was actually not a great king. None of these kings truly were good. We've seen this in Romans, only God is good. But in 1 Kings chapter 11, the Lord was angry with Solomon. Why? Because he had these requirements. Be faithful, deal with idolatry, don't settle for less, don't lead your people to do the same. But Solomon was not faithful. You're like, Drew, what does that mean? It means that he turned away from God, he sat on the throne of his heart, he turned to women, to power, and to fame. Does that sound like an issue for anyone else in the room? It's their issues. No, it's, it's our issues. These are human conditions. These are human issues that Solomon had. And so Solomon then has a son named Jeroboam, but the prophet comes to Solomon during his kingship, and he says this, Solomon, because you've turned away, because you've done this, and this is what the text says, and he commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but man. And we love the word but God in the Bible, do we not, vintage? You know, for every but God, it usually comes because before there was a... But man, but man doesn't trust God's better is better. But man doesn't surrender the throne of his heart. But man fights for the throne of his heart. But man is slow to repent and is quick to evil. But Solomon, he did not do what the Lord had commanded him. Therefore, the Lord comes to Solomon and says this through a prophet, since this has been your practice, since you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and I will give it to your servant. Imagine me and Solomon's son. Dad, what are you doing? I had a good legacy coming. I had a good inheritance. I was the son of the king. But since you, dad, weren't faithful, that's going to mess up our family. It literally divides the kingdom. So it's important to remember this back in 1 Kings 11 as we turn to Rehoboam. Here's my summary statement. Rehoboam is leading his people into a rebellion against God. That's what leaders do. Leaders lead people away from God. And so Rehoboam is doing that, and it's not just a problem from him and for his people, it's a problem for you and for me, it's a problem for all of humanity. Rehoboam is a failed king of a people who need a greater king, and it's King Jesus. And he's ready to do a redemptive work in all of our lives. He is not phased by our failure. Somebody say amen. Because we are, apart from Christ, failing regularly, but instead he reveals a need for a new work in our life. So let's look at the text, starting in verse one. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all of Israel had come to Shechem. It was a main place to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam shows up, now you're like, wait, wait, Rehoboam was a hard enough name. By the way, if you're pregnant, I love when our people name their kids after the verses that we're studying. These are two great ones, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And so you're like, wait, wait. So Rehoboam is the, the grandson of David, the son of Solomon, the new king. Jeroboam actually is kind of connected to the family in this way. Jeroboam was like one of the go-to leaders for Solomon. He was that, that staffer that was the first one in, the last one to leave. He was faithful. And so Solomon, as he gets this prophecy told to by the prophets that, hey, you're settling for less, you're not honoring God, Jeroboam is a part of that, and Jeroboam becomes a threat to Solomon. What do I mean? I mean, anytime someone comes near the throne of our heart, you know what we do? We get rid of them, we push them away. We guard this, we protect this, typically for ourselves, not for Jesus, for ourselves in our humanity. And so Jeroboam has taken off. Why? Because he's a threat to Solomon and the divided kingdom that's gonna happen whether Jeroboam's there or not because God said it was gonna happen. 
And so Jeroboam has been gone and hiding. That's what the text says. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, he came back, heard of it being Solomon's death, for he was in Egypt where he had fled because of King Solomon. Jeroboam now returns back to, from Egypt, and they sent and they called him. And Jeroboam and all the Israelites came and said to Rehoboam, these are older men, they come, and the new king, Rehoboam, is looking for wisdom. He's looking for, what do I do next? And they come, and this is what they say. Listen, your father has made our yoke heavy. Solomon actually wasn't a great king. There were parts of him, that, because of God's grace and his glory, that happened that were good. But all of these kings fall short. All of these kings are really protecting the throne of their heart, not the throne of the king. And so as a result of that, people are like, look, Solomon was really hard to work for. He was hard to follow. He probably would have fit really well in America. He drove hard. He built more. He built bigger. He had more. That's what Solomon did. And so as a result, the wise men come to his son and says, hey, it was hard to be in your dad's kingdom. It was painful. Now, again, hello. Remember, Yahweh said, you don't want a king. He's not going to be good no matter what. So that, that was going to happen. And so these old men come. Jeroboam is one of them and says, your father made our yoke heavy Therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. Here's the truth of the matter. Every single one of us wants to follow someone. I actually think it's God's design in our heart. That's what I mean by there's a throne in each and every one of our hearts. The problem is it's a throne made for and designed by Jesus for Jesus, and we tend to take his seat. But please hear the heart of these old men. They're like, look, would you just be less of a jerk than your dad? Like, we want to follow you. Just don't make it hard. Help me help you, king. So, Rehoboam, you're stepping into the kingdom. You're stepping into your leadership. Please, lighten our yoke. We want to be faithful. We want to follow you. Please learn from your father's sin and don't make the same mistakes. It's one of the best things I tell my kids. Here's how I've screwed up. Please don't make the same mistakes. Knock that off. Learn from my idiot tax. You don't need to go learn that on your own. And so that's what they say. And so here's what Rehoboam says. He says, okay, give me three days. Come to me again in three days so the people went away. Which, by the way, that's a brilliant leadership tactic. Someone brings you a hard question. Three of the best words you can say as a leader is, I don't know. In humility, I don't know. And give me time. He says, hey, just give me some time. I don't know. I don't actually know what the future is going to hold. Give me some time. Give me three days. And then King Rehoboam, he took counsel with old men. There's another great leadership principle. When you are leading, make sure you're following well. Make sure who you're following is worth following. One of my greatest concerns for the Church of America, and I believe that we have a leadership culture issue. You know why? Because we already have a leader and his name is Jesus and everyone else is trying to be a leader. Jesus calls us to be disciples. Disciples are learners and they're followers. They're not necessarily leaders. One of the best things about my leadership is I follow Pastor Todd and Pastor Rick. I pray for them all the time. These are older men that are both in the season of, of retirement, and I'm so grateful. I pray for them all the time. You know why? I say, guys, stay faithful to the king. Why? Because I'm following you. Stay faithful to the king, and so please hear me. At Vintage and all of our churches that we partner with, please hear me. We have a good shepherd. His name is Jesus. The rest of us are just under shepherds. We're just people that are trying to follow faithfully and well. Why? Because the best leaders are actually good followers of people that are gone before them. And even then, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so here's the point. King Rehoboam takes counsel with old men. That's another leadership principle. 
Take counsel from old men who had stood before Solomon, our father, when he was alive, saying, hey guys, how do you advise me with this answer to the people? And he said to them, it will be good to this people to please them and speak good words to them. Then they will be your servants forever. So they go to the old men and he gets this wisdom. Yeah, what they're saying is good. Be less of a jerk, trust Yahweh, get off the throne of your heart. Drew's language, not theirs, but that would have been the gist of what Rehoboam would have heard from Jeroboam and all the other old gentlemen in the room. Not about you, but here's what happens next. And then he abandoned the counsel the old men had. So I don't know how you seek counsel. You know, you, you go to the old men in your life and you say, hey, here's what's going on. Will you help me? And they speak the truth into your life. Have you ever found yourself go over here to someone else and be like, yeah, I heard that, but they didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. So I'm gonna ask for your wisdom. You ever done that before? Don't lie, you're in church. Like you ask enough people for wisdom until you hear what you want. <laughs> Which, by the way, is not humility. That's not looking for wisdom. That's looking for a mirror and someone to positively affirm you when what you really needed was a slap on the butt. What you really needed was a tap on the shoulder from Jesus and King saying, psst, Drew, you're in my seat. You need to repent. You need to get off. You need to, to get right with me. And so pay attention. Rehoboam, he hears this about his father's harsh leadership. He goes to the old men, and they're very clear. Yeah, pay attention to your heart. Deal with the idols in your own heart. And then he doesn't really like that answer. Why? Because, you know, senior leaders are often the most insecure people in the room. They just are. He's like, I'm not good enough to be king, which is true because you were never designed to be king. I don't have all the answers, which is true because you're a man and you don't have all the answers. Women, you don't either. That was not gender specific. That, that's true of us. We are not designed to be king. And so Rehoboam doesn't hear what he wants to hear. He goes to the younger men that'll tickle his ears and will say, yeah, 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 you, you, this is what you really should say to them. The young men, verse nine, as he said to them, what do you advise that we give this answer to the people who said, lighten the yoke of your father, put on us. And here's what the young men said. They had grown up with him. There's nothing wrong, by the way, with being a young man. I wanna be very clear here. One thing I love about our church is we have a diversity of all ages. And young men, you often sit in the front, so I'm talking to you for a minute. There's nothing wrong with being a young man. I love it. Make sure you're following faithful older men. Just make sure and guard your heart. You tend to be prideful. You tend to be arrogant. And I love it because I was one. I still think I'm a young man. Is that fair? That is hurtful. Whoever just laughed. <laughs> I have feelings. But young men, don't, I don't look down on you because you are young, but may you follow those who have gone before you well and may you pay attention to who you are following. These young men, they respond in arrogance. These young men, they respond in brash and, and an arrogant tone. You shall speak to the people who said to you, their father's yoke is heavy, but you shall have us. This is what you should say to them. My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. You should say, I am bigger. I am stronger. I am man. Whew. Women, pay attention to the young men you hang out with. This is not of the kingdom. This is of the world. This arrogance, this brashness, this harshness. Literally what his friends, what his brothers tell him is, you wanna say your dad was harsh, you be even harsher. These family of origin issues are real, church. And by the way, they're human family of origin issues. They're in his family tree and they are in yours. Parents don't miss this. We live in a world where everyone is trying to be their own king and that's a huge miss because we already have one and his name is Jesus. We gotta get off the front of our heart. We have to speak into the insecurity of our babies, of humanity. Here's what happened. We get all these kids, and I love Christmas Day, and I love the song, and all these kids get in a row, and I'm high five, and I'm giving them knuckles, and I love this Sunday. It's so fun. This sweet baby 
I'm looking at her in the eyes. I said, are you, are you pumped? Are you excited? She says, I just don't want to mess up the song. That's what happens to our kids. At a healthy church, probably from a healthy family, I don't know whose kid it was. It was at first service, so y'all are safe at third service. <laughs> don't miss this. Our kids are insecure. It's what we breed in humanity. And it has to do with the throne of our heart. It has to do with this desire to be loved, to be seen, to be accepted. Church, parents, you're like, I don't have kids. No, everyone in the room right now is a spiritual parent. Because that kid that is at Starbucks that you saw on Tuesday, that neighbor that you have, so even if you don't have kids right now, please hear me, you are a spiritual parent. You are a leader in humans' lives. And as the kingdom, our people should be the most secure people in the world. Why? Because it's not about what we've done. It's about what he's done for us. Because it's not that we can mess up the Christmas song. We actually can't. We're not that powerful. Let's be honest, kids. You could sing no lyrics and do nothing. We all would think it's the best thing ever. Is that not a picture in the kingdom of God? And yet we live in a world that says, look at me, see me, value me based on what I've done. The gospel does not value because of what you've done, but because of what he's done for you. There is no need for insecurity in the kingdom of God. You are fully secure. It is in Christ alone, amen? And so parents, please hear me. This is our call. Our call is to preach the gospel to ourselves every morning and to our babies because they live in a world that's looking for acceptance and they're never gonna find it apart from being in relationship with our Jesus. That's the beauty of the kings of Christmas is that we can say we don't have to be like Rehoboam. We don't have to fight for our own kingdom. We get to be a part of his. We get to be a part of what he is already doing and we don't have to live in this brokenness anymore. We can be a part of his redemption story. And so Rehoboam is a, a victim of the harsh leadership of this world that every one of us is tempted to be a part of. We need to be the kinds of parents that quickly lead with repentance. I'm still convinced one of the best things I do for my kids is I go back and I say, I'm sorry, I missed it. You got a little more a dad and not your heavenly father, Abba. But here's the good news. Follow me as I follow him because Abba never lets me down. I will let you down. Not excusing it, but I will. But the best thing I do for you is when I do, I can be quick to repent. The exact opposite of Rehoboam and the young men. Ah, no. Man, I missed it, but God. The text goes on and it says, and now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will lay on you a bigger yoke. My father disciplined you with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. That's not like literally like throwing scorpions at you. The whip actually often would have an object at the end. What he's saying is scorpions have two horns and one tail. And so the whip that he would use against people that got out of land he would actually have three different points. He said, as bad as my dad was, I will be even worse. You must follow me because you should. Parents, please hear me. We must cast the vision to our kids, not of behavior modification, not of the whips, but of the joy set before them in following Jesus. It can't be about you should or you ought to or you have to. It has to be about when Jesus sits on the throne of your heart, your life is better because that's the truth of the gospel. That's what we mean by more joy in Jesus. And yet he just says, no, 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 it'll be good when I'm on the throne of your heart and I will whip you if that is not true. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam, the king the third day, and the king said, come to me on the third day. And the king answered them harshly and he forsake the counsel of the old men. The text goes on, verse 14, and King Rehoboam spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father, you thought he was bad? I will be worse. I will bring the scorpions. And so the king did not listen. It's heartbreaking. 
How patient is our Jesus with us? How often, in fact, that's I think one of the best things we can do as mom and dad, as spiritual parents, is teach our kids how to hear the voice of God. In this world of white noise, in this world of you don't measure up, you're not good enough, that we can come to them with the gospel and say, no, listen, you are perfectly loved, you are perfectly known, not because you are perfect, but because he is perfect. Like that changes everything. That changes the suicide rates in our town. That changes the insecurity in our marriages. That changes young men being able to fail and not be cast aside. It changes young women from being excluded because in the kingdom of God, there is unity at the foot of the cross and Rebel misses that. The king does not listen. And as a result of that, for it was his turn of affairs that brought about that God, that the Lord might fulfill his word which he spoke by Elijah to Shilonai and Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, I don't want us to miss this. As broken as your family is, because you're a part of it, as broken as my family is, because I'm a part of it, the failures of me and the failures of we does not stop the kingdom of God from moving forward. That's just good news. I don't know what gap you walked into this Christmas or even today. I mean, I love this. Jason was talking about the worship team issues. Jason didn't know this. Like, we lost power in Placerville. Like, God's moving forward. That's some of the best part of being a church plant, losing power. It's so fun. You're like, what's next, God? But the sins of this world, the sins of you, the sins of me, the sins of we will not stop because it's about God fulfilling his word and his promises, not about ours. God is working in and through our failures. And that's just good news if you struggle with being a failure, which again, I think all of us do. And that's what Rehoboam missed. I don't want us to miss. The kingdom is divided at this point. And when all Israel saw, the king did not listen. And the people answered the king, hey, what about us? You not being faithful to Yahweh is gonna mess with us. What about our inheritance to the son of Jesse? It was so recently that we were in good graces with Yahweh that David was our king, which by the way, David wasn't a great king either. Look at the end of his life. Every king will fail us. Each of you in your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, O David. So all Israel went to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Now again, Judah, Jerusalem, only two tribes were faithful to Rehoboam. The other 10 fulfilled the prophecy back at 1 Kings. The other 10 now were a part of Jeroboam's tribe. That was the 10 northern tribes at this point. So we gotta pay attention. May our legacy to our kids, may our spiritual legacy at Vintage Grace may be about God's faithfulness, not ours because we're just not that special. We're just not that faithful. But the good news of the gospel is that there's no setbacks in the kingdom, just setups. There's no bad news, just news that God's using for his glory and for our good, and we can trust him. And so the kingdom is divided at this point. Why? Because they've turned from God. He said, you don't want kings. Yes, God, we want kings. Okay, I'm not gonna make you. That's fine. But you want your kings, they're not gonna help it be better. They turned from God, verse 19. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Think about that reality, God's chosen people. And this is still true today. Not just when it was written. After this was written, the people of God would go on to crucify the Messiah of God, the Son of God. And still today, we live in rebellion as a people group. The Israelites do not recognize Jesus as Messiah and Lord. That's our prayer that we've been praying through Romans is they would see Christ crucified, resurrected, and coming again. It's amazing to me that this promise here is still true today. Why? Because it's about the throne of the heart. It's that they don't believe that his better is better. Unless we judge people, we have the same issues. It's about the truth of the matter is that they participate in idol worship. And it's amazing to me how easily we let things creep onto the throne of our heart. We're like, oh, just a little thing. 
It's, it's, just, it's just sports. It's, it's just my marriage. It's just my kids. That to me is still the number one thing I see worshiped in America is, is our kids. We give them more value than God ever intended them to have and then we worship them. That's actually not of the Lord. That's not what he calls us to. He calls us to lead them and point us to the Father, Abba, Father. And so it's amazing, the Israelites, it's just one little percentage point off, but one little percentage point off over thousands of years and multiple generations, it's amazing. The Israelites look around and say, where is God? Where is Yahweh? Where is the Messiah? Because we missed him because he's already come. So what are the implications for you and me today? There's a bunch. I'd encourage you this Christmas season to just pause, to wrestle with the kings of Christmas, to wrestle with the ways that you and I have become our own king. The story today is a snapshot of just one of the people in the line of Jesus, that Rehoboam is in the line of Jesus that God is using to redeem for his purposes. This entire list of genealogy in Matthew, go read it as a family. Go look at the chaos of Christmas. Go look and talk about the Facebook fake reality this world promotes. And yet Jesus says, no, I wanna show you my family tree. I wanna show you all the ornaments, the broken ones, the ugly ones, even yours. Go look at Rehoboam and all of his family baggage. Repent over the reality that we get so excited because David will make it better. Solomon will make it better. Hezekiah will make it better. Josiah, no, nobody but God. And so what about for you? What are the implications for you this Christmas? We live in this world of, of hero worship, of longing. Can we just repent of the fact that we're not the hero, but he is? Can we look at his leadership, which stands in direct opposition to Rehoboam's leadership? Rehoboam's leadership was harsh. It was me, it was my, it was I. And yet Jesus, one of the many things I love about my Jesus, it's not just that he comes to die for our faith, but he comes to show us what life of faith looks like, of what it looks like to say, Father, thy will, but not my will be done. You know, Jesus was the type of leader that every time he walked in a room, he never had to yell. It's part of why I, I repent of my preaching style sometimes. Jesus never yelled at people. I just get excited. I try not to yell at you. I just get so excited. In fact, I think often Jesus looked at a whisper. He never came in the room and said, I'm the leader, guys. He comes in the room, he's like, hey, where's the towel and the basin of water? I wanna serve. He wasn't harsh. Now, please hear me. Here's plenty of times he yelled and we needed to be yelled. He just always does it perfect and holy, turning the tables in the temple. But he was gracious and patient and kind he walked in a room with nothing to prove, very secure of his role in the kingdom, extremely humble because he knew who he was in the kingdom. He knew that he was the king. He goes to the cross in our place. One of the many things I love about Christmas is we slow down and we remember that he comes and he's born and he's laid in a manger. That he's picked up by ordinary people. That he, through his power, does extraordinary things through but he comes in full humility and it's totally different than the empire leadership of this world that we're so enamored to follow. And yet Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And when you do that, you'll experience a unity, you'll experience a communitas, you'll experience a security even in the community of his family because as kids, we don't get to pick our parents. 
And Jesus says, I'm adopting you. I'm grafting you into my father's family. I'm making a way when there was no other way. See, every empire of this world divides. They force you to choose me or them. And then they're protective of the throne of the heart. And they're like, you know, you got to be me. Let me sit on the throne of your heart. And yet Jesus comes and he just simply says, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to point you to the Father. I'm here to make a way when there was no other way. I'm here to unite you. That's our theme of Romans, united by the gospel. And don't miss this. We can pick on Rehoboam because he was a bad leader. Well, so was Jeroboam. Remember Jeroboam? If you read more of the story of Jeroboam, he's leading the 10 tribes in the north. Things get so bad, he's so insecure that the reality is he makes two golden calves so people will worship in the north and not go to the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was because he's afraid he's going to lose them. Dude, really? Golden calves? Have we not been there and done that, people? But the truth of the matter is our harsh leadership, our dividing leadership, it's nothing compared to the cross because at the cross, there's a unity at the foot of the cross. Jesus comes for the sick. He comes for the desperate. He comes for the broken marriage, not the polished one, not the Facebook fake one. He comes and he says, I have come for all of you who are broken, all of you who are heavy and weary laden, I've come to give you rest. And he unites us at the foot of the cross We gather as sinners who are saved by grace, as saints who still struggle with sin, but God. And so we turn our hearts to him. That's my prayer for you this Christmas, that you would turn your hearts to God, that you would recognize that what you do is rooted in who you are. It's rooted in your identity. That's why we fight hard as a family to not settle for behavior modification with our children, but instead to say, hey, why do you do what you do? The reality is you do what you do because you think it will make you happy. That's why. And so as a spiritual father, I'm just here to say anything other than Jesus on the throne of your heart will not make you happy. And so I'm praying, Lord, help me in my affections. Change my heart, not just what I do. Change it just 1%. 1% of my budget, 1% of my time, 1% of, of the things that I put on my Christmas tree, 1%, that's it. Lord, just help me to want to want you more. That can be the best prayer we can pray often. Help me to see you and that you are worth it. Help me to repent over all the times that I missed you. Help me to repent over the times that I thought that I had to be my own king. I am no longer enslaved to being a king on the throne of my own heart. I've repented of that. I'm freed up for making much of me because he is only one worth making much of. So that is my prayer for us, that we would see his leadership, that we would be united by him, that we would turn our hearts to him on a personal level. Repent, turn respond. Would you pray with me? Jesus, would you speak to us even in this moment of stillness? We recognize that you have brought redemption to our family tree. That you are the only king of our life and of our heart and that it's your throne and it's not ours. And so we repent of all the times like Rehoboam and Jeroboam and every Boam. We missed it. Would you be the king of our life? Would we recognize as a church family that inheritance is what someone gives to us, but legacy is what they leave inside of us. And you, Jesus, left your spirit in us to lead us. You freed us up from trying to become the king of our lives. We no longer have to be enslaved to self-image or to self-promotion. We are free from self to worship you. You, Jesus, became us. You paid our debt. You showed us how to live. You gave us an invitation back to God's presence, which we rejected in the garden, and we still at times reject today. 
And so we pray, Spirit, that you would come, that you would remind us that you have overcome, that we are no longer enslaved to this world, to ourselves, and to the throne of our heart. We freely give it back to you because we are sons. Church, may we celebrate that reality today.